survivors and welcome to Shatner Mask, a Halloween podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is first 8th grade bonus episode 24 and in this edition we'll be stalking through the night as we celebrate the spookiest time of year with Film Club Halloween. I'm your host Cy and joining me in Haddonfield this week, kill death blood, it's Kelsey aka KDB. <laughs> that was a really, like you said, low effort one but I really like it because it's seasonal. <laughs> <laughs> That's alright, it gets worse. <laughs> stab, stab, stab! It's my button, Steve <laughs> Stab! Hi, everybody! <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only keep us afloat, but also to create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else. Tears begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod for the full breakdown. A long time coming, this one. This was on a poll sometime in 2022, and we missed the window, unfortunately, for Halloween. So we decided to back pocket it for the meantime and and wait until the next appropriate moment. Uh, So yes, here we are. The slasher film poll. Halloween is the winner. So special thank you on this episode goes to Taurus Tarkas on YouTube for their cover of the classic John Carpenter Halloween theme. Of course, we couldn't do an episode without... You know, that theme in here somewhere. So listen for that uh, on this podcast as we break down the 1978 original movie and the 2018 movie of the same name as well. So let's start with the 1978 launch right in Halloween, which came about as a pitch from the independent filmmaker Erwin Yablins and his financer Mustafa Akkad, who had seen Assault on Precinct 13 and wanted to work with John Carpenter on a film about a babysitter killing serial murderer. Apparently the script was always titled Halloween, but Carpenter, who took the gig for $10,000, had most of the creative control with the writing, directing and the scoring. Donald Pleasance, who plays Sam Loomis, was reportedly paid double what Carpenter took, but the film had a budget of around $300,000, not much at all, which famously led to some of its more simple elements, such as Michael Myers' William Shatner mask. (laughs) It debuted in Kansas City on October 24th, 1978, and went on to make $47 million in the US, a total of $70 million worldwide, spawning five sequels, a semi-reboot sort of thing in the 90s, another reboot in the 2000s, another (laughs) semi-reboot thing in the 2010s. Um, It has a Metacritic score of 96%. So let's talk about our early experiences with the Halloween franchise and with the original movie. Because it's quite an old flick now, over 40 years ago, I don't know if it'll be necessarily the first one that everyone saw. Kelsey, what do you remember your earliest memories of Halloween? Not the time of year. The <laughs> oh, yes. Trick or treating with my brother. Um, no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh, I mean, yeah, for me, along with Chucky, Alien, Predator, Freddy Krueger, like Michael Myers is just always been there with me at that younger age where like he shouldn't have been and i i (laughs) specifically remember my so who is now my oldest friend uh oldest friend his name is ryan i'll give him a shout out he introduced me to halloween probably when i was about seven years old and he's younger than me (laughs) so he was watching it before i was and yeah he would he i remember him bringing a video around and it was one of those things that we would watch like like every other week it was just like an after school thing and he had like some figurines of Michael Myers and stuff so along with all those other horror iconic characters it was just something that I always knew of and maybe shouldn't have been watching it but I think you know I I kind of turned out okay I don't think it did me too much damage 
Um, so it's always been there. And I think with the franchise, I, like, I've generally seen every movie at least once, I think. But the most repeat watches are like the original, maybe the original two. Halloween H2O, mm. funnily enough, I rented that multiple times, um, which is the one with Buster Rhymes, I think. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, although obviously I didn't see it when it came out, it's been there since, yeah, the uh, early 90s for me. Saw it when I was very young. Mm. And, yeah, it's always kind of just been... There's stuff from this film that we talk about that's just always been seared into my brain, a lot of the imagery and stuff. So, yeah, he's he's always been around as as Michael. <laughs> he's like that, he is. Um, <laughs> Steve, any thoughts on your early experiences with Halloween? Where do you, how far back do you go with it? Uh, so, so my history with the Halloween franchise is a bit spotty, a bit weird. I mean, my origin point is watching a VHS of Halloween 4, so driving that far into the law at that point as a young age, kind of a bit adrift. Uh, all, all I saw was, ah, scary man in white mask, ah, kid kills someone at the end, and raving lunatic old man with a gun. So, uh, yeah, I was a little bit too young for it, much like Kels. And then my, my second experience is like, I want to say it's Resurrections. It's the one where, um, spoilers for Halloween Resurrections, Laurie Strode dies very early. <laughs> yes, yep. that's Resurrections. Uh, yeah. Which I believe is a sequel to one of the many reboots this series has had. That is a sequel uh, to H2O, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so for this podcast, our two subject topics of Halloween 78 and the uh, the reboot or sequel boot, I don't know what you want to call it, the, mm. the, the re-sequel, um, <laughs> uh, they're two fresh things for me. I've always Ooh. known of Michael Myers. I've not, yeah. not had any um, you know, hate for the man or anything. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, slasher films are some of these things that I have to really, really be in the mood for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm much more of a fan of your your shuffling corpse horror movie with like the Dawn of the Deads and the like, yeah. more so than slasher films. I'm glad we did it in this order because I've got even less exposure to it. Never seen a single one of them in my life. It's impressive. (laughs) I didn't have um, any... I didn't have that trademark friend that you've mentioned, Kelsey, that a lot of people have, Mm. person, someone in their life necessarily, who would be like, watch this horror film. Not particularly, anyway. None of my friends um, or anyone really that I knew was that bothered about most of it. So I wasn't really, I didn't have the entry point that way. And I picked up on the stuff that I was interested in as I went along. And, you know, I've said before that my dad was like, you like monsters, watch zombie films. But he doesn't really, you know, have any particular interest in horror as well that I'm aware of. So I was vaguely aware of it because of H2O, which came out in 1998. And just because it's, you know, part of our cultural fabric, Mm. really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Michael Myers and Freddy and Jason and all of these characters and Ghostface. But that's the thing. I haven't seen a Scream. I haven't seen an Elm Street. I haven't seen a Friday. And I haven't seen a Halloween. None of them ever. I've seen Freddy versus Jason. (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, we're starting from the top, really, aren't we? It's all done. (laughs) Which is incredibly weird. But of course, I know about all these characters' histories. And having watched the original Halloween, I did some digging as well and read a lot of the plot synopsis and sort of the stuff that... You know, the franchise is very odd history and very odd canon and timeline and stuff like that. So, you know, I know plenty about it, but yet I had no particular interest in any of these. And they all sort of melded together. The only memory I really have of any of them is that I did know one guy who was absolutely terrified by the theme music. I'm not even completely sure he'd ever seen the film, but the music (laughs) terrified him. We used to turn the lights off in the house and play it really loud and just to listen to him squeal, which is incredibly cruel. But he also do, used to do it to the X-Files theme as well, which is so... Just weird memory of those two themes mushing together. But there you go. Uh, that is to say, 
yes, fresh experiences for both of these films for me. So cool. let's get into Halloween, t- Halloween 76 in that case, uh, which begins on Halloween 1963, where a young Michael Myers kills his sister with a butcher's knife after she's essentially ignored him. Uh, from her babysitting duties to have sex with her boyfriend. 15 years later, psychiatrist Dr. Samuel Loomis heads to Smith's Grove Sanitarium to pick Michael up uh, for a court hearing to find that he's actually already escaped. He steals Loomis's car, he later steals some overalls, and he heads into Haddonfield, his hometown, to start a killing spree. That's essentially the plot of the film. I don't think it gets overly more complex than that, but what we're going to do first is, of course, break down the story. So... Uh, I guess starting with the opening, let's, you know, because I think the opening's, for me, actually, one of the best parts of the film. Kelsey, how do you feel about the uh, the way that Halloween begins to unfold? So the opening is definitely one of the things that for the longest time was like seared into my mind, as I mentioned. And it was the thing that really unsettled me. Um, and I, you got to remember, when I watched this, it was on a VHS. It was on like a worn VHS as well. And <laughs> this is going to sound utterly ridiculous. And I don't want to undermine everything I'm going to say after this. <laughs> but my friend at the time convinced me that when Michael is walking through the house and you've got... So we have this incredible sort of one that opens the film. It's his point of view. Yeah. And uh, when he walks through the house and picks up what is, in fact, a clown mask and puts it on his face, my friend told me that was a condom that he puts on his head. And for years... <laughs> That's what I thought it was. So, and I don't know why, but there's something that's kind of more terrifying about that than what he actually does put on his head. And yeah. it, it wasn't maybe until I saw a DVD years later that I realised that that's not what it was. But anyway, as an <laughs> opening, <laughs> um, I think the opening's awesome. As I said, it's... I'm going to talk about this more later, but it's got so many of those things that we know John Carpenter for right there in the first few minutes um it sets the scene it's it uses like a couple of little music cues that you know send chills down your spine and stuff like that and yeah the opening's really strong for me and so this will be one of the, like the very few times in the entire franchise actually you see his face as well because you do see young Michael Myers at the end as he's getting apprehended by the police but it's really weird and creepy and you could argue that maybe does the film ever reach this kind of height of creepiness as it goes on I think it maybe does but yeah it's an awesome opening it's it's iconic and it's one of the things that I remember the most about the movie yeah obviously not having seen it before I didn't know what to expect but I actually really liked the opening as you say like a big long shot um and a really interesting way to introduce the character directly from the point of view and then the moment where it sort of switches and you see him standing there with a knife and he's like a small child i mean you know knowing the franchise you kind of figured that that's the way it was going but like it's a really cool reveal to be honest um i can absolutely understand like the point of view of people who are watching that for the first time when it first came out in particular as well. Mm. Like, what an incredible hook to start a film. Steve, how do you feel about the opening of Halloween? Yeah, um, so I, I try to approach at least this film with as much generosity as I can do because it's, mm. like, obviously a film from the, the late 70s and it is generally regarded as a trendsetter. A, a, uh, I know it wasn't the first mm. slasher film. Technically, that was something like Psycho, but mm. it's the one that kind of made them more blockbustery. Yeah, you know, that that kind of thing, and so I was trying to be as generous as possible, and I, I still actually was very impressed because, like the 
I wasn't expecting an op- the opening kill, if you like, to be a POV walkthrough. Mm-hmm. And then for it to be revealed that, you know, it's a young child who, at, at, at least, I think, that, I don't know if it's intentional, but the child looks as bewildered about it as yeah. anybody else, yep. yeah. at least initially. Mm-hmm. We all know that goes into a very different route later on. But yeah, I thought it was, you know, for a 70s thing, like, really creepy, atmospheric, intense. And then just like, the only thing that probably would knock it down a little bit is perhaps, you know, uh, Judith's performance as she's dying. <laughs> but, you know, eh, it's that era. Uh, but yeah, to say that that kind of trope's done a lot in like slasher films particularly where there is a murder or someone gets butchered to, for it to be first person pov i mean it's something that doesn't happen very often in games either but like mm. uh i want to say the the rail shooter dead space extraction is a similar thing where you play as a character go through a first person thing it turns out you've murdered a load of people uh mm. it's, it's it's a cool trope when they do it and the fact that it started here impressed me uh yeah so aside from a little bit of wonky acting pretty <laughs> creepy yeah, the acting thing is obviously something that probably come up again, but like, mm. I think you say of the era, but also I think just the budget. budget yeah, as well. yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, you know, they only get what they yeah. had available to them. So I can absolutely agree with you on that point. But again, I was in the same sort of mindset of like, I have to be a little bit sort of try and put mm. myself in the shoes of someone watching it for the first time in the seventies. You know, this had been never been done before, and that kind of thing. Um, so yes strong start let's see if it keeps up how do we feel about the pacing because it's actually i've got i've definitely got a lot of different mixed opinions about the film i would just lay that out there now but i actually really enjoyed the pacing of this film because after that first kill it really makes you wait and i actually quite enjoyed that kelsey how did you feel about the pacing of halloween so i think it's so essentially this film is like a really slow chase scene and it's like a chase from a couple of different <laughs> angles. And I think, but I think the pacing is good. I think this film consistently, for lots of reasons, keeps up that level of dread and the pacing is a big part of that. Um, this, you know, it, it it's a film about being hunted and the pace at which someone is being hunted is something you could talk about because you basically have this dog chasing a cat, chasing a mouse type scenario where so or or okay so you've got the doctor chasing michael chasing innocent Mm -hmm. woman who resembles the killer's sister so it's that's kind of what frames the whole thing and in in terms of how it's paced it's it's classic carpenter it's very slow it's very there's multiple long one shots you know slow camera moves and stuff like that and it never really goes kind of above what I'd describe maybe as like seven or eight, it doesn't turn into a frantic pace. And I'm happy with it. It's not a long film. So yeah, sure. Yeah. So I have no complaints about the pacing. And I think I'll talk more about some story bits in a minute, but I, so I haven't watched this film probably for about 10 years, but I have seen it multiple times and I actually watched it. So this past Sunday again, for the first time, like I say, in about 10 years. And I was, surprised at how quick it flew by but yet it is Mm. all constantly like very slow and i really like that because i think there's literally a scene where at one point he stood up michael myers has stood outside someone's house for like like eight minutes (laughs) and you think come on when's something (laughs) gonna happen here but it never felt boring and dull you know because you're kind of like on the edge of your seat like what is this maniac gonna do and you know there's reasons for that and i'll talk about more in a minute but yeah i think it's really well paced this is this is the stuff that carpenter was doing and now loads of people have just 
emulated and tried to emulate. It's really good pacing for a film that actually doesn't have a lot happening in it, I would say. Mm. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned... Um, I don't know, Steve, you think you mentioned Psycho. Somebody said Psycho anyway. Um, and, you know, this film definitely drew comparisons to that for re- one reason or another. Yep. Um, but that's, you know, maybe that's it for me. I'm not interested in necessarily the blockbuster uh, direction that we go from the slasher fic, but I love sort of psychos. That's a horror film that I can get behind. I'm I'm super old school, and I just love the the classics. Clearly, like, but I really liked that pacing element to it. You know, we get time to establish the characters and watch Jamie Lee Curtis act circles around everyone else, yep. which is again budget, <laughs> um, and just just lots of little weird bits like the yeah the the they're going past one of the kid's dad who's a cop by the way and just like trying to just tie the gives you a bit more feeling of what the town is and the size of the town and how connected it is and that kind of stuff and seeing the doctor kind of like then also show up to talk to the cop it's a really nice connection to everything and meanwhile michael's driving around in the background which is really fun (laughs) yeah stuff like that i really like just that that stuff makes me think of psycho not when we're actually in the sort of yeah the the real into the night so much but the setup felt like psycho because it's a lot of like okay i know something's going to happen at one point we just have to get there um but yeah the the i was gonna watch i watched these a couple weeks ago so my memory might be a little bit spotty on some of them i was gonna do one one night and one the other and i just did them back to back Mm. because both of these films are quite short which yeah also appreciated by it steve uh, what do you have feel about the the pacing and the setup for the film Pretty much the same as everybody else. I was like very like impressed with how much it's like got a, a steady air of dread and stuff. I'm used to slasher films being more teenagers who done it, you know, trying to figure out who's killing who. So mm. it was nice that this is more of almost like a disaster film where you're watching something about to happen. Like, yeah, yeah, they don't know what know, they're in for, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know who the killer is. Mm. So now let's see as they try and stop him or as they operate. And the the you know, I would argue. Some of the slice of life stuff's a bit dull, but it, it's meant to set the scene and ground the world, sure. a bit, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, do I care about the other characters other than Strode, you know, uh, Loomis and Myers? No, but they have to be there to kind of fill out the world. Otherwise, Haddonfield's going to be a very small place with <laughs> nothing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, I feel like the first half of the movie, the most engaging parts are probably the. Somewhat creepy and overbearing Dr. Loomis trying to exude just how much of a danger Michael Myers is. Because at this point, yeah, okay, he stabbed his sister, but he's disappeared. And he's just standing around looking a bit goofy. He may or may not have killed a uh, a worker in a field somewhere and nicked his boiler suit. Uh, it just feels like they're both as bad as each other. I know they're not. Uh, but watching <laughs> that cat and mouse chase escalate while Laurie Strode is basically going, yeah, I've got to babysit tonight. Who's that weirdo? Uh, yeah, it, it's an air of dread as opposed to the usual, like, oh no, Jeffrey's been killed. How did he do it? Who did it? And that was refreshing for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, for sure. It's really interesting watching that character because you get an insight into when you think about it from everybody else's sort of point of view. It's like, oh, he's just like some crazed madman. It's like, yeah, that's okay. That would never happen here. Sort of, there's the sort of response he gets from people, which is really Please. cool. It's a nice consideration. It's not the traditional Hippocratic Oath, but I'll allow it. You know, walking around with a handgun trying to stop his patient. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's start tearing into the story proper, then I'm just going to let people pick apart moments they like and didn't like. Uh, overall, Steve, how did you feel about Halloween 76's 
I, I don't even know if you'd really call is it a story just feels like the wrong word plotting I guess almost I, nothing I still happens. think slash <laughs> yeah. yes when when murder do be yeah, yeah I, 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 I just see it internally as a slasher disaster film like you know law is irrelevant this is more can right. these people survive this oh, uh, say that. unnatural event <laughs> <laughs> Well, you see, that's the thing. We'll get into it when we get to Halloween 2018, all right? Okay. But I think I, I appreciate it when there is less lore and less reason to this madness, and it's just about the characters surviving or trying to survive. Um, the quote-unquote fighting between uh, Laurie surviving Myers is more compelling than like hearing about this, that, and the other, and this cult or whatever. And, yeah, uh, definitely feel like as a story, man shows up, tries to kill girl, gets his eye stabbed with a flipping coat hanger, gets shot, disappears. Way more interesting than just like, oh yeah, so this, 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 and this. He killed his daughter, or he killed his sister, or... Uh, yeah, no. I, I, the, the, the lore isn't compelling for me. Right. The, the events itself that unfold are very entertaining to watch. The way he spooks off at the end is really creepy, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's that's interesting because everyone has sort of a different interpretation of it. Obviously, we're not get too deep into it, but the series did head down a direction, from what I understand, of like trying to build a background history, and it kind of got convoluted. Hence, all the different reboots and stuff. But yeah, in this film, he really is just madman goes back to hometown. Um, and what I like about it is that there's a lot of him picking his moment, which adds back to what we're saying about the pace. Like, there's a lot of him it feels like waiting for his chance to sneak in, kill someone and then get out. It, 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 there is something going up on instead, you know, upstairs for me, for Michael Myers, because it feels like he knows that he needs to be careful, not for his safety, but because it ruins the chance of him getting to kill more people and just carry on. Like he's not interested in necessarily a broad I mean, end goal for this, but like, yeah. I like that he's not just running around the streets with a machete, you know, screaming. Oh, of course not. No, <laughs> what I mean is, it's like, it's like the, sh- the shark in Jaws, right? Totally. The shark doesn't just go around and annihilate everyone on the beach. They pick their moment, they strike. Yes, it's, it's dramatic and mm. it's fun. Like you know, that kind of stuff's cool. I mean, I, w- I don't want to go diverge onto other slasher films. Okay, but like compared to stuff like Freddy and Jason, which are all theatrical and stupid, mm. I did prefer this take of a slasher killer. It's a lot more intimidating. Yes, I mean, it's a lot more grounded. I know it, it's not, but it's grounded in reality compared to the others, at least. Like, it realistically could happen. And also, it's just that genuine creepiness that you can feel if you go to take your you know, bin out or something and it's just pitch black. Someone could be behind that bush. You don't know. And that's literally the style kind of stuff that, you know, this film plays on. The first kill that adult Michael makes, I don't know how long into the film it is. It feels quite a way in, but it's such a payoff when you wait for it that entire time. And then um, it's the, someone gets in a car and then gets strangled. And I don't think the kill is particularly... I expected this film to be more gratuitous. Of course it's not, because it's 40 years old, but, you know, it's got such a legacy that I was probably expecting more than it was going to deliver. But I still felt that it was uh, it was an identifiable moment of the film because you've waited for it. So it, it certainly feels like, right, now things are really going to begin. Uh, Kelsey, how did you feel about the general story of Halloween and the plottings? Yeah, it's an hour into the film, that kill. You're completely right. There you um, go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, two thirds of the way through, essentially. Yeah, so I, I mean, I do agree with a lot of what you're both saying, and it's completely spot on. However, I think even when ignoring everything that came after this movie, um, 
it's doing stuff that sets it apart from other slasher movies and i'll talk more about it when we get to michael as well but you know it's the story of the boogeyman and it's a story about being hunted Mm. and the story is slightly more supernatural than the movie ever really looks or feels on the surface because you've both mentioned it's so grounded it's so realistic and stuff like that um And it generally shows itself to be, yeah, that standard psycho slasher movie. You said psycho, so this is a huge influence on this movie. But Carpenter is taking things to to the next level without kind of showing you what he's doing with the characters. Um, He's playing with some much darker themes. And, you know, I talked about the sort of chase of the plot, which is, you know, what we're watching unfold. But, um, you know, this film, watching the story happen, it's... It's weird, like there's almost no exposition, which I absolutely love. The closest we get mm. to exposition is is Loomis's little dialogue, sort of little monologue things that he has where he's talking about Michael and he always delivers it in this kind of menacing way. So that's more interesting than, you know, your bog standard exposition. But this the story is, is this steady, steady build to make you wonder a couple of things. It's like, okay, what what's the fate of the main character and the characters that you're watching i suppose or or you could think about laurie but even laurie's friend is taking up a big part, a big load of screen time she's that first death um but also yeah. what's michael up to and this story relies heavily on the threat and presence of this demonic character to keep you on the edge of your seat rather than trying to explain what's happening to you and you don't really have your hand held and it takes I'd, it can almost make it seem sometimes kind of pointless you know you also said oh he's just a madman going back to his hometown and it's like i there's more to it than that and i think the movie right that's fair the movie is doing things to make you ask why is this happening because you also mm. said he he is thinking about it he's picking his moments and he's not there's one point where a kid just runs into him and he doesn't just slaughter the kid on the spot you know he's methodical there's yeah. reasons yeah. and what is these reasons the film very explicitly talks about fate at one point as well in the classroom and i think most yeah most of what stands out about the story is michael and that's what i'll dive into in a minute and it's what does he represent why is he doing this and i think that's the allure of this film more than anything it's very symbol driven it's very character driven Mm. and it continues right up to the point that steve referenced right at the very end where he he disappears and it's another what how moment like what does he has he survived how has he done this because yeah the the film goes out of its way loomis says it as well he says it's the boogeyman you know it's michael i'm kind of again maybe lay my cards out a bit too early but he's more than just a psychotic human there's there's darker forces at play and the film doesn't rub it into your face but the the hallmarks are all there and i love the way this story plays out because yeah it it just it's very much watching that dread unfold and making you ask, hang on, why is he doing this? Like, why is he killing her? Why is he doing this? And there, there is a reason. Don't quite know what they are. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. So there, that's my story, Ramble. You've actually brought me to a great point then because I wanted to talk about, uh, yeah, the stuff sort of late into the film. I feel like we've shot through this, but like, that being said, I'm going to start picking it apart a little bit here because I've got, Certainly mixed feelings about that because you're right, I framed it that way because that's what it feels like at the beginning. But by the end, you've got all these unanswered questions. And yeah, there are things about it that I do like and there are things about it that I don't like. Um, It sort of loses me towards the end because of the supernatural element. And it just kind of... 
it does come out it feels like it comes out of nowhere there's not a lot of explanation to it you just kind of like it kind of just feels like it ends on just go with it it's because it's scary and i was like i don't know it just feels a bit lazy almost <laughs> to be quite honest it's like here's a reason another reason to be scared he's getting back up and running away i guess i like the ritualistic nature of Maya certainly like i we just talked about him being methodical is a great word um, and thinking about stuff and there is clearly stuff going on there because close to the end of the film Laurie discovers one of the bodies on a bed with the headstone of Judith Michael's sister sitting mm. there so that is an incredibly striking and strange moment where you're like okay so he's been up to something else there's something what is he trying to do recreate that night in some fashion he's obsessed with it there's something going on there and to be fair, there's symbolism there that does kind of invite the idea of Satanism, which I, I possibly intentional, I'm sure. But there's just not enough of an explanation or a connection to me to understand, is he human or is he something else? And I kind of like him better as just human. Mm. I kind of would have liked him just to, if you're going to shoot him, then he just dies. <laughs> but like, obviously, that's not the direction it goes. For me personally, uh, yeah, it just starts to shake apart a little bit at the end. Um, and loses a little bit of what makes it scary for me personally. Steve, how did you feel about the, yeah, the apparent supernaturalness of Myers? See, this lent me going down a bit of a rabbit hole, as in I looked in, like, I haven't watched all of the other films, but I've been kind of looking into the various bits and pieces of the lore and whatnot, Mm. and I have to be honest, I I preferred it when I didn't know what the answer was or the theoretical answer was, and like the, the... the horror of the unknown, like you know, the, the is it demonic possession? Is it something even more sinister? Is it just he is just one durable prick, mm. like as opposed to <laughs> it's an evil cult who did these worshiping things and uh, evil child possession uh, and mind control. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, See, the, the, like the lore of the original continuity of Halloween films. I'll say it plainly, okay. And I, I appreciate yeah. you may be a fan of these. No, 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 no. Let me just. Uh, it's just... glow in the dark horse. Yeah. Dis- like disclaimer. it's terrible <laughs> disclaimer my just it stops. cut the rope <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. The, the law stops at maybe halloween one or two yeah. like i can appreciate the the idea and logic behind spoilers for halloween two that laurie is at least in that continuity here also a relative a Ugh, sister yeah. right. um, i don't even like that to be honest <laughs> yeah but and that's only as a slasher trope yeah. i much more prefer it when he is just some kind of evil force or a durable git um whether the answer is you know is or isn't that's okay you know i'm fine with like you know it could be a demon possessing him or not it Mm. could be cthulhu just manipulating him for all i care (laughs) but it is compelling to see the shark at work uh to answer your question in a short way (laughs) no i mean to be fair in that sort of vein i don't know if i want an answer you know the answer you just gave me i don't want that certainly um but maybe I think what I would have liked more of is just a bit more, if you're going to go that route, just a little bit more of it and a little bit earlier on as well. Just Maybe I just need to rewatch it. Maybe the signs are there. There's, there should be some implication that that kind of thing is coming. It just feels suddenly convenient uh, that he gets to survive a bunch of stuff and run off to me. But 
Mm. What do I know? I've only seen it once, so maybe there's. If I want to rewatch, maybe I'll pick up on you know what you were saying, Kelsey, mm. about the fate stuff and like that. You know, a bit more of a creepier atmosphere from it. So they literally uh, watch the thing on the TV, and it shows it like five times. Yeah. There's like a UFO and aliens and stuff. This is all. This is this all means something. I'm not saying he's I been possessed by aliens, I but right. <laughs> it's Carpenter. Oh, you know, that, Carpenter making you ask. Mm. You know, like I'm saying, like Steve. I suppose you're right. Except the problem is that now, having watched that after watching the thing, I was just entertained entertained by the, the thing yeah they're watching the thing <laughs> yeah you know i wasn't thinking about it too deeply of yeah. course as well because this is uh four years before the thing it came is. out yeah, so yeah. obviously that is the thing from another world yeah. not john carpenter's yes. one but it's yeah. really funny to see his passion for that project in that what a weird connection that i didn't know existed between the two franchises mm. until now uh yeah it's really cute that is <laughs> um any more thoughts on the story maybe the kills anything kelsey that you want to add well, before we move on to the characters it, like the kill, the kills are all very like subtle, and I will want. I do want to point out. You know, you mm. mentioned the the one in the car. I mean, it, it verges it, her the poor woman. It does verge a little bit on comedy because of the way her eyes roll and stuff. But that's an acting thing which we've kind of touched on, <laughs> which almost spoils the moment. Um, but I like that this movie, and when we talk about the second movie in a little while, I'll, I'll kind of say why. But you know, I like this movie. That it it does it does a lot more for me without showing brutal detail, which it doesn't really show. There's a little bit, right. and the kills are not the thing to watch this movie for. Um, no. And almost the complete opposite can be said for the future movie and other franchises because they do different things. The kills are yeah, they're a minor part of this movie. It's more about character and michael and the law around michael as we keep saying and yeah and as just as a disclaimer yeah i don't really like i don't even really like the second one that much the original one i love this original movie um but all that stuff that comes after you know like i think he gets his head cut off at one point and comes back it's just <laughs> all like yeah yeah that's <sighs> that's not really my bag so i'm with steve there where he's like yeah what did you call it steve glow in the dark <laughs> sometimes lore is not needed like this is like um gun survivor 2 dream notes being canon (laughs) it's it's irrelevant you don't need it it's fine a carpenter for me you know it's i'll say it a couple of times he is an artist you know it's this is his way of he's making a movie to make people go to the cinema and terrify them but he's got Mm. thoughts he's got reasons for doing stuff and this is just his way of doing it and yeah no, that's completely fair. Um, Steve, any more thoughts on the story and the murders, if you like? Uh, I like how this, uh, this again, is establishing a lot of tropes and stuff. Um, because as much as I don't like slasher films, I have been on the periphery of many an evening in college watching stuff like it. Uh, for example, I, I'm gonna, I, this is going to sound awful, but Promiscuous Friend getting killed by the ghost... I don't know. I can't remember her name. Sorry. Uh, and then, obviously, the boyfriend literally getting pinned up by uh, the kitchen knife which gets referenced again in the new yeah. film. Uh, yeah, that you, you, you can see like the establishments of what would become later a bit too cartoony in the likes of like Jason with his machete and Freddy with his dream traps. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's just rather like strangle person, strangle person again, stab person. I, I appreciate the subtlety, yeah. uh, for want of a better term. And the, the actual quote-unquote final showdowns with Michael and Laurie, I actually kind of appreciate it a lot like normally in these things they are just screaming in fear and yes by the end she's left a bit distressed like very distressed mm. but until that final moment she's actually quote unquote kind of badass like 
hiding in the cupboard, sure, but she grabs a, like, coat hanger, turns it into a blade and jabs him straight in the eye. She unmasks him to try and confuse him. Like, you know, plucky stuff. I genuinely enjoyed the conflict. Yes, actually, you've. Uh, I've also just been scanning through it, because I say it's been a couple of weeks uh, looking through, but you're absolutely right on that point. Like, she, there is, she gets to have, do the distressed stuff, because she's, like, banging on the door and all that, but she gets to be pretty badass as well she saves the kids mm-hmm. and she yeah she stabs michael what quite interesting i thought watching it with and maybe this is just me overthinking it uh, a coat hanger and a knitting needle you know objects that you might necessarily associate with traditional feminine women you know knitting and clothes and all yeah. that stuff yep. it was a really interesting touch that i was like okay cool but yeah that the final showdown stuff is really cool and it feels nice and claustrophobic and stuff like that and also, my favourite kill isn't even on screen. Just because I was like, I was watching it being like, right, he's stolen the car, he's heading back to the town. Is he just going to show up in overalls? No, they actually show that, yeah, like he stole overalls off a dude. Yeah, off a mechanic. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, okay, yep. cool. Works for me. He wanted to ditch his, you know, hospital gown or whatever. I was like, okay, cool. It was a nice little moment. And again, you say, don't, you don't see the kill. You kind of see the devastation of what's left and we pan over and see the body and the weeds or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the doctor doesn't see. Um, yeah, all right, overall. <laughs> okay, let's talk about characters then. Uh, Kelsey, let's start with you. I, I think we've already established there is only really three characters that are perhaps worth talking yeah. about, but uh, I'll pass the ball to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, as I've sort of touched on, it, the movie just constantly puts things in front of you that should be making you kind of question what Michael is. And the hints are all over the place. I mentioned the thing on the TV, but the the dog barking at him. At one point, Loomis says he is not a man. And it's like, oh, this is just the ravings of a dramatic doctor. And it's like, no, no, he's saying it for a reason. And whether he knows mm. it or not, you know, is up for debate. But uh, right. music on the radio when they're driving the car, it's playing Don't Fear the Reaper, which is a fun little thing. <laughs> and I just think, mm-hmm. and, and there's actually one point in the film where it pretty heavily implies that he can teleport. Now, it's like, is this where he stood between the washing and it sort of cuts back to her and then he's gone. And it's like, is she imagining it? Is right. is it just, oh no, he ran away really quickly? Because he obviously didn't run mm-hmm. away. Uh, so is it implanting imagery in her head? So there's stuff going on here. And I think, you know, if you were struggling, the film does hardline it at the very end, as I've said, when Loomis literally yeah. says, it was the boogeyman. And yeah, some of the subsequent films, as we said, cross the line a little bit more and really step up that stuff, which... I don't necessarily enjoy. I think this one does keep its feet on the ground enough for the most part where you can constantly still argue, oh, no, no, he is just a psychopathic human. Um, But for me, you know, I think that's, I think the intention of Carpenter, okay, I mean, he's not going to outright say it, but for me, there's more going on under the surface for the character. And I think it does really well not to jump the shark for Michael Myers in this film. It definitely did it in later films. We're not talking about them. This film, I think it's really strong. I think this is, he's depicted as a monster you could genuinely kind of run into in the real world. And, you know, and I'm asking the questions while I'm watching, is he possessed by demonic forces? Is he evil incarnate you know this he's literally known as the shape so it's like is he a shapeshifter right this is like yeah, yeah. more akin to something like stephen king's it which and this came before it as well so michael is kind of 
it's Carpenter's way of materializing our fear of being hunted or judged or fate coming for us in this horrifying form. And I think there's no question that his presence in the film is superb. And we can talk about tropes and stuff, but, you know, this film was kind of planting its flag long before they were tropes. And, yeah, I think it just does it so well with him. He clearly has an awareness, like you said, Cy, and in some cases seems to have those internal morals. So he's not just slaughtering people left and right. He has a purpose and he's thinking about what he's doing, who's controlling him or what's controlling him, I think is what makes him interesting. And it does make it fun. You know, you said it. you would kind of prefer if he was just a normal kind of crazy bloke, but for me, it's like, yeah i mean this is it's a movie though and i'm kind of having a bit more fun yeah, with I get it. And you. you do you have to meet it where it's at and for me i think you can talk about as i said jumping the shark which other films do i don't think this one does i think it asks really interesting questions and it's i don't think the character's ever been better than he was in this movie um i'll talk about the others in a minute i'll just pass it over to you guys but that's what i think about michael I- Clearly, my, I, uh, my interpretation oh. of Loomis, I was just going to say, was the roving lunatic. Because I was not putting any stock in the things that you were just saying that, that he says. Absolutely, you're right. Yeah. Clearly, I should have I should have been. Because there is implication, there is sort of foreshadowing and more to it that uh, I didn't take in because I just thought, well, he's just terrified of this guy. That's how clever um, the film is. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Steve, go ahead. I'll say, uh, just as a question, I know this is, this is a lot of taste... Uh, preferences here but what's scarier Michael Myers being a man or a monster under the mask well in real life I suppose a man <laughs> but like I say it's well I know but like it's I don't know I mean, it's a movie and I mean I think like I say it doesn't quite jump the shark I say monster but it's like what is that monster what is it I, I, mm. it's yeah it's difficult I, to kind of get you to get my words around but for me it's the un, uncertainty is terrifying mm. you think okay what's more scary in your house yeah. a ghost or an intruder it's like well an intruder definitely <laughs> but you know like <laughs> you don't know one way or the other it's kind of yeah. more scary i suppose mm. that i think that's that, that's kind of the point i was veering towards mm. i love the fact that we don't get an answer to yeah. it mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I i prefer it that we don't in a way um i also apparently loomis's monologue about how he talks to like young michael and says that there's nothing you know just evil in those eyes is something to do with apparently john carpenter actually went during like his i guess his college days like he apparently met with psychiatric patrons patients and a young child inspired that entire monologue for loomis Hmm. uh that that's terrifying the fact that he's met people that inspired but basically (laughs) his character of loomis is his reaction to another patient in a psychiatric institution Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think generally speaking, my favourite character in this film is probably still Laurie because they are likable and do generally un, despite that we've mentioned the tropes and stuff, n- not following traditional trends. I feel like mm. you know, and and uh, you know, I I would I again argue being justifiably distressed at the fact that all that's gone on at, right at the end of the film. Um, yeah, Loomis is probably I know I understand his necessity. And I love Donald Pleasance as a person, like you know, in some of the sort of like Blofeld, for example, in the Bond films. Uh, but he feels like he's a little bit too on the nose and a bit too dramatic. And this is an, uh, compared to a film with Michael Bloody Myers in it, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, whereas that stuff, where he, like Kelsey said, like where he's just being weird and stalking, that that's probably some of the better moments, being all creepy. 
as a, a character. Mm. Mm. Uh, to to compartmentalize, if I have to rank the three film, the three characters in this film, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it is literally Laurie, Michael, Loomis. Yeah, that's fair. I'm in the same boat. As I say, he was a bit of a, he was a bit of his own raving madman to me. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I um, it's, it's interesting about Laurie because like not to date this episode too hard, but uh, having just had a conversation yesterday about Castlevania Nocturne which just released I've been reliably reliably informed by Steve that there are people upset about uh, the character of Maria in that because she's capable and she's not screaming and she gets things done and all this stuff and it's like look we've been doing that for 40 years <laughs> like why are we complaining about this one character because yeah you're right like Laurie bucks a bunch of at the time movie trends it's a really interesting spot to sit because it's almost like and I don't necessarily believe this, but I can understand why people would take there's a message in this film that she's the single one who's doing a good job with the kids while everyone else is fighting yeah. around having fun yeah. and they all get murdered and she survives. Yeah. Is it trying to tell you that, you know, trad wife is the way to go? I don't know. <laughs> but she is the most interesting character. She's the most capable character. She makes the right decisions. Mm-hmm. And also... Proto Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's... It's cool as well that we get enough time to see her interacting with her friends and see how she fits into that group of three as the sort of, you know, the one that has it together a bit more. The bit, you know, maybe you could describe her if you were friends with her. She's a bit boring, really, you know, but mm-hmm. like she winds up obviously not being boring because she fights off a potential demon man. Uh, so, yeah, it's cool to have the that friends group establish more some acting notwithstanding. It, it just works for the small cast of characters like they actually make use of everyone quite well i'd say um kelsey i'm gonna kick it back to you for characters because you said you had a little bit more before we move yeah on. like you, you're both completely right about laurie and you know she's there in, in a large way to represent the audience as well and just you know some some of the many young people that would have been watching this movie you know that's her positioning in the film and carpenter wants to terrify those people and so we see her babysitting and talking about going to the dance with a boy and but then also doing things maybe she shouldn't she is she's smoking and stuff like that but you know she's sort of living the life of like a normal person and then the movie is saying like you know we see you you young whippersnappers and what you get up to but pay attention to laurie because she's the one she's not getting distracted meaning maybe (laughs) she has a better chance of getting away so basically don't have sex with anyone because you'd be too distracted from knife wielding demons and that's like (laughs) her position and she's great you know I, i i i think the legacy of the character benefits a lot from movies that came afterwards but she is really strong in this film and iconic and so she does grow in the franchise but here yeah the she's the light of kind of normal living and if you come into contact with this evil presence is is this how you should you know how you might react it's how the normal person's dealing with it and jamie lee curtis is probably the best actor in this film so yeah she's awesome performance so i absolutely love her um and then donald donald pleasance i think he's I just think he's so good from the very first moment. He is being weird and he is being like, you've Hmm. been around too many crazy people, mate. And I think like he he's not even incredibly adept at his job. He seems like constantly a step behind Michael as well, which makes him come off like a little aloof and maybe makes you question his ramblings about Michael. Like, 
is he crazy too or is he being dramatic he doesn't always constantly seem to have like a full grasp and you know he gets snuck up by the sheriff snuck up on by the sheriff as well and which is quite funny and it's like is this effect of michael stronger than we realize is it rubbing off on loomis Mm. and i'm gonna say yes probably and i just think as an actor as well he performs it incredibly well i think he's there to plant those seeds to the audience like i said that something's going on and at the same time through his performance kind of make you brush him off um yeah so his dialogue is kind of like some some of it's like it's right out of the twilight zone or like an old novel or something but i very much enjoy the character and i think all three you know this is i i mentioned earlier the the story of the movie is kind of driven by michael and the questions around michael it's yeah it's michael loomis and laurie they're the three interesting things Mm -hmm. of this film and i think as a trio yeah stella i love all of them Mm. yeah it's interesting that you're talking about the um this sort of laying the groundwork for that trope the horny teenagers get murdered thing (laughs) that's in every slasher film you know from here until eternity after this it's parody but you know hundreds of times as well but like i really like it here it's compared to some other films where it almost it's it is weirdly almost perverse like murder porn sort of stuff whereas this it's not gratuitous in any fashion it is as you say a bit more realistic they're teenagers they're smoking they're having sex it's it's how it goes um it's just unfortunate for them that their town happens to be uh yeah also the town of a crazy murderer demon man (laughs) um so it's way more interesting and i don't think some of the 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 nastier stuff that's come since i'm not going to say one way or the other about anything in particular because again i don't necessarily know because i haven't really seen any of it but i know plenty about it the stuff that just seems to get his rocks off a little bit on that this one is not that at all like this is this is way more almost i would go as far as to say like well-intentioned that kind of yep but uh let's get into well, the rest of it, really, the direction, the atmosphere. We obviously talked a fair bit about that already, but, you know, the music, all the stuff about the way this film looks and sounds. Steve, how did you feel about all of that stuff? <laughs> oh, Jesus, the music of Halloween. Terrible, mate. No, no like, uh, phenomenal. Like, uh, I-, I love the-, the little touches they use to try. And obviously, if you're not paying attention to the film, you bloody should be moments. And mm. the-, the main theme, my God, like... Uh, cool. For such a a quote unquote simple melody, I couldn't play it. But also, like it's uh, unnerving in the best possible way, and uh, not not to throw shade at other slasher films, but you know, a good theme can go a long way. I remember that Jason's got the cha cha cha, but that's it. Like this stuff, <laughs> yeah. it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, genuinely, I, I I think it's what I feel. I've probably been a bit critical of the film so far. Or at least I, I, I personally feel like I have been. The music, like it's it's it carries it all the way to mm-hmm. like I can watch this film again. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's Carpenter though. Like he, he's he's got built-in cheat codes, hasn't he? He can just do this stuff. <laughs> like the thing, Escape from New York. The man knows how to handle a synthesizer, mm-hmm. and my God, it helps this film's atmosphere. Yeah, like just you talking about it, I can hear it in my head, you know, immediately. Not just the piano part, but all the synth stuff. That's just so Carpenter. You know? that- it's like 5-4, isn't it? Like It's, it's a lot faster yes, than... I believe yeah. so, yeah. So it's obviously a bit of an off-kilter rhythm as it goes. and Just, yeah, what an iconic sound that that sort of lower melody... It couldn't be anyone else except Carpenter. So, yeah, the music's obviously great. 
Um, from the way that it looks, actually, even though it's been a couple of weeks, I can still picture this film in my head. Like, it has a very specific style. When we get into the, the murderings part of the movie, where it's nighttime, it's a lot mm. of those sort of long shots in particular that are very dark and moody. And I think that, even despite its low budget or, or whatever, I feel like lighting in this film is actually quite a highlight because you see what you need mm-hmm. in order to follow what's going on, but it's still dark. And often not quite monochromatic but you know it's black and the dark blue of night there's not a lot of color in there once we get into the sort of later stages so see i feel like in my regard this time like seeing the visuals particularly the film i'm spoiled by more newer films and you know older films and so it kind of like I was just sat there going yeah this is this is acceptably fine for the era <laughs> like you know yeah. i'm not i'm not saying it was Monolith. But now you mentioned like the dark blues, particularly at night and stuff. Like, oh my god, there is actually like uh, mm. a, a a a chilling atmosphere. A uh, uh, light motif is music, Steve. But that visually, <laughs> yes. mise en scene, mise yeah. en scene. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, now you mentioned the light composition stuff, especially at night, is great. The, the flatness of day, obviously, they're recording in actual daylight, aren't mm. they? I don't think a lot of it is on stage because of the budget. No, uh, yeah, I think it was all shot on location. There's some parts where you can tell that they're very clearly blowing like a leaf blower around, <laughs> which, I, which I actually quite enjoyed. But yeah, it's all it's all shot on scene. Um, there's also one part where Laurie's walking around the streets where suddenly it has rained uh, between essentially between shots. Uh, you could believe that she's gone around the block a few times and it chucked her down and then suddenly stopped. <laughs> but the pavement's suddenly wet. And it's just like one of those little filmmaking things. It's just funny. Um, I always appreciate seeing that because, you know, as someone you know who has you know just messed around with making films and college stuff, it's just the way it, it happens, is. Yeah. And it just made, it just it just made me think of that. It made me a little bit warm and fuzzy inside. Um, Kelsey, how did you feel about you know the way the film looks, the way the film sounds? So I think if I was like a teenager when this movie came out, obviously at the time we had a few big time directors, and Spielberg was one of them. And I feel like I would have thought that John Carpenter was the cooler, more interesting one because Spielberg <laughs> yeah. was doing a lot of similar things. Like atmosphere in a Spielberg film is a character and like more than so many other directors. Mm-hmm. And with Carpenter, it's the same. I mean, but I prefer the way he does it. And we've, you know, we've mentioned his name on the podcast like 700 times. And <laughs> this film and his other films is many of those reasons why. And it's because... He knows what he's doing and to do it on a shoestring budget as well. It's just, yeah, he, it's he's a natural and his long shots, wide angles, all supported by that soundtrack. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of unbelievable. And it's, like I said, that, that constant building dread for a film where not a great deal happens. There is genuinely a scene that before Annie dies, Michael's just like stood outside for 10 minutes. He's like... One point, one party stood outside the kitchen. Then he moves to the front. Then he comes back. Then he drops a plant pot. There's like nothing going on, but <laughs> it's just shot so incredibly well. Um, he makes those scenes in broad daylight just absolutely terrifying, which isn't always easy to achieve. And I think he's he's like a fan of just doing shots, which, as cheesy as it sounds, could be like a creepy painting. So you'll have like the big wide landscape with like a little hint of a character or something like that. And he does that, you know, with this movie. And I think it's always trying to keep you in that constant sense of dread, even when they're watching the movie on the sofa or in the classroom 
atmosphere is kind of created through these small little creeps in the camera and the music in particular it's just yeah it's so so good and there's no like you mentioned the lighting sigh you're completely right there's some of it is kind of noiry and it's very just look here's what you need to see yeah michael is silhouetted like seven times in this film it's all very purposeful mm. but at the same time quite straightforward because of the low budget and it's it's just the way he's able to make those resources work and the direction of michael as well and the music uh, rumor has it he did the soundtrack in four days which is just kind of like obscene um jesus yeah, so, cheat codes the man has cheat yeah. codes he just yeah, can just so, do this yeah. he is a master at atmosphere there's no bones about it and this is one of his strongest examples um yeah, this you you talked about the theme. You know, completely agree. It's just it's something that I would I would listen to, and there's been variations of it as well. It's so thumping. It's up there with the Exorcist. It's just up there with the greatest of all time. Um, yeah, he's a he's an atmosphere master, and you know you can pick. You might want to pick apart some of the other stuff in the movie, but you know the acting and stuff like that, but no one's tearing apart the atmosphere it's it's s no, it's s tier sure. stuff it's so so good mm. yeah it's absolutely the highlight for me which brings us nicely to the conclusions for this particular version of halloween how do we all feel about this film overall i guess i'll go first actually since i sort of opened it up there um i'm really i felt like i was going to be way more critical about this than i have been and it's one of those examples that we have many times where it's like i talk about it with you guys and i'm like do you know what yeah, there are things about this that you guys enjoyed that like, makes me appreciate it more. Um, there were, yeah, the atmosphere was great. I thoroughly enjoyed that, uh, and I had a good time watching it. But when I finished it, I think I just kind of went, "Fair enough." It feels obviously by today's standards mm. very quaint, mm -hmm. which is you know you can't hold that against it. I'm sure, of course, we know it was massive for its time. There's no question about it. Does it have much to offer now? Yeah, probably, because I think... I'm sure there are other great examples, but, you know, we've talked a lot. <laughs> we've we've crapped on the, the slasher film genre as it's gone. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously it's important to go back to the, where it started and kind of see how you can potentially rein things back in and still be effective. Um, I'm glad that I watched it, just to know for sure. I appreciate that it's punchy. I don't think it's my genre. It hasn't really particularly interested me in seeing Friday the 13th or Nightmare or anything like that. Um, but I enjoyed it. It's not my favourite John Carpenter. It's nowhere near the heights of the thing for me. Mm. But, yeah, I certainly wouldn't call it a bad film by any measure. Um, Steve, how would you sum up your experience with Halloween 1978? I mean, it's almost a hit Control-C and then Control-V. Like, yeah. I, I fully was expecting this to be kind of dull, not my thing, not a slasher film fan, but I came away pleasantly surprised, and obviously you have to come at it from the lens of time, and I was just appreciating how, despite it being a cornerstone of what would be a burgeoning genre, how much of it, it kind of eschews, or if it does things, it gets done differently by other films, probably for their detriment. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, uh, as a time watching it, I was pleasantly surprised. Much like Sido, I probably... I, I wouldn't rate it as my favourite Carpenter film. That's 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 elsewhere, I'm afraid. Uh, perhaps in uh, Antarctica, a certain station, or is it Arctic? <laughs> I can't remember. Either way, you, you know how that goes. Uh, yeah, no, 
Good time. And as a uh, a movie monster, a uh, a horror slasher killer villain, Michael Myers is establishing film pretty good. Uh, the stuff that comes after, not so much. <laughs> uh, not so much. Maybe the film we're going to talk about in a bit. That's 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 a bit of a grey area. We'll get there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so if you're going to watch, if you want to go to the Halloween films, uh, don't just watch the first one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least of the original continuity. Yes. <laughs> Uh, KDB, final thoughts on the original Halloween? Uh, so, like, you, you've both sort of touched on it. Like, a lot of this film is in danger of feeling really silly because, like, so much of the iconic stuff in it like has, be- has been redone or turned into a trope mm. or memed or parodied. I think I sent, like, two Michael Myers gifts alone in the Discord this in the last couple of days, and it's just, like, so much of it has kind of, yeah... Go- you become almost kind of silly so and does that mean it's aged a bit possibly i don't know if a young viewer today will get the same sense from this as i did when i watched it because and i'm watching it today with the context of 30 years ago in mind and yeah i'm thinking about it in a different way and it for me it does still affect me to this day i i love this movie and i think it's we've been back and forth about it for me it it is a supernatural movie with the sort of cover of a slasher and its main character is the the reason the franchise has persisted and what he represents and what he's capable of it's for me it's really fascinating to watch gives me the horror chills you want from a movie like this it's also quite low on the violence which i find interesting and prefer in comparison to the more modern take and not just from this franchise we've all said it from other slasher movies and stuff and i think it does enough horrible stuff without having to really see like a knife going through someone's face in super high-res detail um i think the atmosphere it creates the music the cinematography questions that floats around mike are all timeless and powerful today uh for me it's one of the goats of the genre um this led John Carpenter to being able to make the thing. Um, it set a standard that people have copied, some better than others. A uh, big shout out to It Follows and a film I watched recently called Talk to mm. Me, which are both heavily Carpenter influenced. And I think many people try to emulate his work. And this movie is is one of the many reasons why. I think he hasn't done much bad. And this for me, yeah, like I say, it's... It's the granddaddy of the slasher genre, and there's more to it than people sometimes give it credit for, I think. And yeah, mm. that's how I feel. <laughs> cool. I wanted to leave, um, at least talking about this film, just on this note that when this podcast drops for the public, obviously the Patreons are going to get it um, several weeks early, but when it comes out publicly, it will be the film's 45th anniversary. Ooh. So to still hold value after 45 years, at least, like, lots of props there.
So let's jump forward 40 years to 2018 uh, and Halloween, no, just called Halloween, the 2018 film. If I understand correctly, the film started off as Halloween 3D, uh, then it took the name Halloween Returns, I believe, and as it found its crew, it took proper shape. Uh, Carpenter returned in some capacity to sign off on things uh, because he wanted to bring Halloween back to its roots following the many sequels and in particular the Rob Zombie reboot duology which he didn't like. His general sort of feeling on things at the time were, you know, instead of sitting here complaining about it, maybe I should actually see if I can help make a decent Halloween film, which is, you know, a nice positive attitude to have considering the guy is quite known for being a little bit crotchety and sarcastic. <laughs> Um, as such, the film is a direct follow-up to the movie that we just talked about, the original movie. It throws everything else out and just goes, right, in this timeline, it's just Halloween 1, and this is 40 years later, nothing else um, occurs within that period. Jamie Lee Curtis returns as Laurie for the fifth time in her career out of the so far 11 movies in the Halloween canon. At this point, it was directed by David Gordon Green, released in September and October of 2018 with a budget of $10 million against a return of $259 million. Oh. On Metacritic, yeah, it has a 79% rating with an audience score of 6.8 out of 10. As a story set up, very simple. I can pretty much do it in two lines. The film takes place 40 years after the original. Uh, as Myers escapes transfer yet again and um, Laurie Strode is now estranged from her family and a bit of a crazy shut-in prepper lady. I think that's pretty much all the setup that you need, really. Um, Kelsey, have you seen, you know, you're the established Halloween fan. Did you see this when it came out? I did. I went to the cinema with my friend Ryan, who introduced me to oh, Halloween. Oh, So, yeah, that's a callback. And, yeah, we watched it together mm. and in the dark together and we're very kind of nostalgic. And, yeah, I remember, uh, we'll talk loads about it, but I remember coming out of it maybe kind of agreeing with sort of those scores and stuff you listed off there. I mean, that, I didn't realise it made that much money. That's insane and kind of ex Mad, explains it? where the two sequels came from. The two from. sequels, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, um, I, uh, what I will remember specifically, though, is once that theme music hit and I was in the cinema and the lights were down, I was just like, I was giddy, absolutely giddy. Because yeah. I don't, I had never seen a Halloween movie in the cinema until this point, so yeah, mm. it was a big, it was a big moment, and yeah, lots to lots to talk about. Indeed. Okay, well, let's just scrap in and just jump straight into the story then. Steve, how do you feel about the setup for Halloween 2018? Uh, as someone who lives with someone who is a true crime like podcast listener and enthusiast, <laughs> it's nice to see. One of these idiot muckrakers cause trouble and actually gets karma for it. Like I love the setup though. The idea of some nosy parkers essentially agitating like one of the worst possible things to agitate and it leads to a disaster. I know it's forty years to the day in the in, in I was gonna say in the game law. Yeah, the game film. No, that's a different thing. Uh, in the film law, but I, I I still I still blame the I still blame the true crime guys. I I think it's their fault. This entire event is their fault, uh, and I love it for it because it's it's people are that stupid nowadays. <laughs> uh, I, I, I genuinely as a setup, that's great. But the idea that Laurie is a traumatized prepper lady, I think, is a it's almost becoming a, a trope into itself because we have we have like Sarah Connor in uh, the latest. Terminator film but I feel like it's done a lot better here there are some better payoffs than just I'm grumpy old and know how to use a shotgun right although to be fair I would say that it happens in Terminator 2 as well <laughs> and, uh, did, yeah no but no I, yeah I, 
it's a more direct comparison yes. with the with the recent film. But I mean, when I watched this, I was just like, ah, oh, so she's Sarah Connor. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's layers to it though, isn't there? Like yeah. the, the interview and stuff as well before stuff kicks off, and you can tell that it, it's not just pure rage and uh, prep preparedness. She's obviously been traumatized and damaged beyond that. Mm. Uh, it's ruined her family life, for example. Like she has reasonable acquaintances with her granddaughter, but her daughter is completely ruined, uh, or at least implied to be completely ruined. That might or may not change. Uh, and we even have quote unquote a Doctor Loomis style character who, you know, spoilers for later on when we talk about characters. Those red flags were visible from all of it. Like, I- I'm sorry. <laughs> But generally speaking, yes, as a setup, I actually was. Maybe it's because I was so uh, impressed with Halloween '78 that I was just I was straight in for yes, this is this is believably stupid. Let's go. Believably stupid is such a good way to put the opening of this film. Yes. Like, I was also kind of like, yeah, that is probably accurate. Like, if this was genuine, that would happen. Some dumb podcasters would somehow score an interview uh, and go and do something stupid like they did. I really like, just throughout the sort of first acts of this film in general, the framing of Myers. He doesn't have his mask for a long time. And you you see flashes of his face and stuff like that. You get to see that he's blind in one eye. I was like, nice, continuity, mm-hmm. good, we like it. Um, and yeah, they did a really good job of like shooting around him and shooting him in interesting ways and giving him his presence and stuff. Um, which... Obviously, they have to do stuff like this because it's such a it's such a huge time jump. Like a film has just changed in general, so it was always going to feel different. And this film absolutely feels different from the nineteen seventy eight original in so many ways. But you know, a lot of it I was very much engaged from the get go. I was really interested in the story of traumatized Laurie. Mm. Yeah, I'll take this interview now. Where's my money and get out <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And the believable. Fam, family fracturing of her daughter being taken away by child protective services because she's doesn't want her, you know, out and about and wants to teach her how to fire a shotgun and all this stuff. And I can, yeah, I can absolutely see that. And there are some pretty weird stretches of logic to me. Like when he escapes, right? We're going to jump forward a little bit. When he does escape, uh, somehow by movie logic comes across the podcasters again they're in Haddonfield I guess it's Halloween they've gone to the the gravestone of Judith and he's also gone there so he then goes right well they have the mask so I'm going to kill them to get my mask back it's nice and convenient that it all like timing wise it all works out for him to get his mask (laughs) but you know whatever that's aside um Kelsey how did you feel about the the early goings on of Halloween 2018 so you're not watching the opening they pull the mask out and he twitches he can sense that mask it's like a radar pinging him he knows exactly where to go <laughs> exactly where to find mask it GPS. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely has I love the opening of this film so much I mean it, it is it perfectly picks up where the first left off uh there's a line really early glass hill is the pit of hell the doctor says and i'm just like oh this is just utterly ridiculous and superb <laughs> bit of dialogue from the doctor um i love the idea that michael again draws a specific doctor to him you know loomis assigned himself to michael and now this new doctor did the same he says i lobbied for it and it sets the scene and steve mm. like you said <laughs> it sets the scene that maybe michael has some kind of power and we're going to see it play out and affect other people spoilers it does affect the doctor so that was quite funny (laughs) um 
Yeah, I th- this opening sequence I really, really love, and you know, it's a while before that that theme hits. You know, when he's holding the mask up and stuff. I love how that ha- comes through, and with the smashed pumpkin, even the graphics and stuff. It all feels like a Halloween fan, a Halloween film by fans for fans, as you would say, Sai. <laughs> um, mm. And yeah, and I think we'll talk more. I think it has an overall dynamic that is quite different to the original, but as a sequel. I think the story functions really well in where it it picks up. Um, it is very much a retread in, of the events, and there's you know many times where yeah. it just does stuff that the original thing does, kind of one for one. Yeah. And it's this passing of the torch thing that we've seen countless franchises do in the last decade or so. But I, like you, really like that notion of you know, okay, what does trauma do to us, and what kind of prison can it put it put us in? And these are things that the first film doesn't really have to lean on. So that's quite good. And I like that. And this film is in a weird place because although it ignores everything canonically that came after the original, it still kind of has the legacy of those other movies to lean on, which Mm. instantly adds weight to Michael and even to Laurie as well. So it has this kind of weird advantage. And, you know, it's almost like we're seeing michael come for laurie for revenge after the last 12 movies rather than oh no just one movie (laughs) so Mm. it's really strange watching this film because with the first movie it kind of you know i mentioned that idea of fate and stuff and this movie does touch on it as well and michael's potentially coming for laurie because that's her fate and you know fate is written that way and fate is fickle and all that but yeah like setup wise and the podcasters and stuff it's that's again that's another thing that what there's like four other movies that have done that recently the podcasters are a thing and i kind of like it i mean maybe it's, it's dating it but i like that it's like yeah don't be a podcaster because you know you're just going to cause a load of <laughs> chaos to happen yeah guys <laughs> so don't unless a you're a resident evil one eh, yeah. guys yeah yeah um, <laughs> yeah there's uh yeah i don't know there's like as i say there's like a bunch of human stuff in this film with the trauma side mm. of things and the mm. this d- different dynamic is there and i like these themes of paranoia and fear and trying to escape your past and uh i mean i think like my deep analysis of it analysis of it kind of stops there but this this is this is definitely a movie of set pieces which we'll talk about it's it's darker more violent um and yeah it sometimes has that kind of what can we do with this death sort of thing a bit like those saw and scream movies but but which is you know more kind of style than substance for my liking but i yeah i the setup and and you talked about michael and the way he's framed and stuff it's all really cool it's it's really kind of well smartly and kind of classy and nice and then yeah yeah, there's just some other stuff in the film that maybe i don't like as much but the first act don't don't worry yeah first act solidly and you know we'll talk about characters and everything but yeah i kind of go into this movie quite positive and enjoying it for the most part yeah there's a lot of things to jump on there certainly like just everything about it i found particularly engaging i really like not just the way the characters were shot but the location as well it's really nice to see i mean it doesn't really make a lot of sense other than again it's just kind of convenient movie logic that laurie still lives in (laughs) haddonfield like she wouldn't move out of the place where she nearly died okay but it's nice to see different parts of it you get to see the sort of more wooded, like Resident Evil 7 almost, yeah. wooded area where she lives out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, that's really cool. It's growing that location out a bit for me. 
again with the only having context of the original film possibly that's in other stuff i'm sure it is but for me who's watching it in this timeline literally i'll watch the film before the set before this and i don't know any of the rest i was like okay cool this is more of the location that's good uh, when it comes to by fans for fans yeah absolutely like some of those early lines are really i love the one where she's like the part one of the podcasters is like somebody said that you know he's your brother or something like that <laughs> and she goes no that's just something somebody made. yeah <laughs> <laughs> really funny yeah. stuff that feels like that was possibly like when something the carpenter wanted to get in there potentially but um yeah really um, i'm sure that probably upset some diehard fans but it's uh, it felt good natured to me at least yeah. um but there was a lot of stuff in there where it's like legacy sequels can be a really tricky thing and i'm you know i make no bones about it if you follow me on social media if you're in our discord server you know my favorite film of all time is a legacy sequel mm. so i can't criticize too many of them too much um but this one does a lot of the uh, yeah oh, i've seen i've seen this exact shot before like the classroom bit yeah I was like, that's exactly i love that i really enjoyed that because it's just little bits like it's not overbearing and there's enough as you said there's enough new stuff going on especially when it comes to the character element that we didn't get it takes it occupies the same space as there's three girls you get to know early on in the original Halloween, but it's a completely different thing because it's this family situation and it's these new bunch of kids um, and the way the world is now and stuff like that. Also, shout out to um, cell phone in and some cello. There's a, you need to do it in a horror film, don't you, to take away the ability to call for help? Uh, <laughs> it's an inventive way to get rid of it it's for me. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Um, right, let's get a little bit further into the film then, I suppose. when the, Do what we did last time. When the murders begin, how do we feel about it? Steve, the action begins. How are you feeling about Halloween 2018? Ah, Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I mean, the, 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 the way the podcasters get murked is like, how many people die there? Four people? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, so. Uh, Michael means business, doesn't he? Um, I was actually genuinely like, somewhere between impressed and horrified at like, well, we've lost a bit of the... Uh, We've lost a bit of the subtlety, uh, mm-hmm. dropping teeth into a store. Uh, but also, I appreciated the fact that while, yes, he is a, a murderous killer man, he's still getting in there, smashing people's heads against walls and stuff. Uh, it's more so than just like, you know, Jason chopping people in half or anything too cartoonish. It's like, right. aside from maybe one Gears of War curb stomp in the film, mm-hmm. like most of the violence is somewhere between grounded and realistically yeah. doable by another human to another human if they were angry enough, if they were strong enough. Mm. Uh, I especially like appreciate that maybe it's more, oh, it's one continuous shot. <laughs> but the, the, the power-up montage of basically Michael going from hammer to small knife to bigger knife. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and the themes playing the entire time. Like, if you're just in it for Michael Myers murders people, that, like, two or three minutes must be heaven for you because it's just so <laughs> tense and so thrilling. Uh, yeah, no, I was uh, strangely invested. And it's amazing that, like Sai said with the shots earlier, you can get nostalgia for a film you saw like a day before. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was surreal for me. Uh, yeah, so, mm. no, genuinely, I was uh, I was somewhere between more engaged but quizzically repulsed, I suppose, would be to, to nutshell two minutes of talking. <laughs> I would, you know, I'm similar. I was engaged because, you know, this film has at least the advantage of modern trappings. So it's, you know, it's nice and bright and colourful in places. It's very, you know, largely well shot. 
it's so it's easy to get engaged with it because that's the way films are designed now there's you know got to be eye candy and stuff like that so it was very easy to watch however when the killing started i was kind of like i'm not really sure this is what i want out of michael myers mm. you're absolutely right about the brutality of the violence and the up close and personal nature for sure but yeah when we get into the gas station or whatever it is where he kills four people in quick succession and you, you see a, a couple of them you don't see the others i kind of appreciate that you don't have to see all of them die you just kind of see their bodies but i was kind of like oh is this really michael mars because uh he's leaving a lot of evidence and getting in and out quick just feeling like because he can uh, mm. yeah i feel like the michael Myers in the original movie would have waited until another time to do this where he didn't have to kill four people and potentially put himself in danger of being caught again, etc., etc. And the tooling up sequence, well, I take your point, absolutely. That is kind of where I fell off completely. Uh, not that I didn't enjoy the rest of this film, but like my investment in it definitely died here. Because yeah, Would you say it feels like more of a different kind of slasher film from a different... Definitely, yes. 100%. It makes no... like It doesn't... It feels completely incongruous from what... And this is just from my understanding of Michael Myers, and that's why I wanted to say what I said before about him being methodical and wanting to protect his kill streak almost <laughs> by picking his moment. But yeah, grabs a hammer, walks into a house. He doesn't know if there's anyone in there or not. Oh, there's someone there. Smash their head in. Mm. Oh, now I've got a knife. Keep on walking. Just straight in and out of the house in about like 20 seconds. Off he goes. She was in his way, essentially. And this is what you, I think Kelsey you said exactly that. Is like, he's not just killing people that are just bumping into. Well, now he yeah. is. And then the rest of the film just becomes, you're here, so you die now, which is uh, unfortunately not what I wanted out of Michael Myers. But there you go. Uh, just yeah. seems, he seems too reckless. Kelsey, you're saying yes. I take it you feel the same way. Did you feel the same way when you watched it the first time? Yeah, I, I, I was shocked at how kind of off put I was for a couple of reasons one and I've said this before just as I get older I'm just less interested in seeing violence and gore I'm just I'm really going off it to be honest it doesn't mean it doesn't have a place I think you know you can watch a movie and if it picks its moments and does a bit of brutality it can have a lasting effect and all this but when it's just kind of there is a lot of box ticking there's a lot of you know, you've come to see Michael Myers. We're going to give you Michael Myers. You know, the the daddy of slasher. Look, look at what he's going to do. And it's, it depends what you're looking for. It's not what I'm looking for. If you're going out for a Friday night, you know, with your pals to watch a slasher movie, you're going to have the time of your life watching that stuff. Like the gas station scene we've mentioned. Like really, all I kind of need in that film is like the shot of him dropping the teeth over the door. That was in the trailer. And it's annoying that it was in the trailer because it's an awesome shot and it's super creepy and it's horrible. That's kind of all I need. And then you see one of them get strangled, their feet, you know, kind of go limp, a bit kind of like a callback to the dog in the first film as well. Um, but seeing poor, what's his name, you know, uh, male podcast guy get his head smashed <laughs> against the door like nine times. It's sort of, it's a bit much. And then... Yeah, it's like, oh, there's two people in the the gas station clerk. You just see their jaw ripped out and stuff. I'm not sure I really needed to see that. And then I'll, I'll talk more in a bit when we get to characters about the recklessness of some of those other kills that you mentioned, Sai. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm much... Some of the action in the film... And, you know, poor Oscar as well. He gets spiked on a fence. Is it Oscar, the kid? He gets spiked on the yeah, fence. And so, it's yeah. like... I just felt like I was watching 
a slightly cheapened version of Halloween. And I don't want to come off like a snob because I'm not a movie snob. Like, I love a bit of gore and violence. I really do. But I don't know. Like, it's just, yeah, it felt like rather than Michael killing because he has a reason to, because he needs to get something, there was, I don't know, there was a bit of nonsense going on. And then just visually, it wasn't really what I wanted. Um... But yeah, there's other good stuff in here. Like this this film is a weird one. I'm sort of really back and forth with it. It's definitely a film of two halves. Um I uh not a big fan of the brutality. Um I just think it could have been trimmed down a little bit, uh, because I am a fan of some of the other stuff around it, which yeah, maybe we'll get to. But yeah, it's it's sort of fine. It's it's the dynamic is different, as I said at the start. It's completely different to the first film. With all the homages it pays, I think they're like yeah, you can make your Halloween film, but, you know, you've got to hype up Michael Myers. You've got to hype up, yeah, it's going to be brutal and stuff, which I think they did before the film. And and I really yeah. like Danny McBride, and he was a driving force behind this film. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's the film that maybe he ended up wanting to do, but yeah it's 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 difficult to sort of look at some of the stuff and just go oh, it's just a bit stupid <laughs> and, and not and not say oh it's a bit stupid because some of it is but it's i don't know i like it it really depends in the mood that i'm in but this is not really what i wanted when some of that action starts unfolding and what else did you say so i like i think um like the the logic the logic side of things you mentioned that i actually don't mind like him find you know i i don't mind that he kills the podcasters because it's to get his mask back like you know but did we really need to see it the way it unfolded i don't know so i'm kind of rambling a little bit but yeah it's no no yeah yeah. i i agree like like logically it makes sense but the way that it's laid out when you see it and it just loses the subtlety of it which i know like we're 40 you know years removed from the original so we're not going to probably get that because whether or not it's true but that's what studios believe audiences want to see. Yeah. They want to see the brutal... It probably is true. People, you know, want to see brutal killings and stuff if they go and see a slasher, slash horror movie. Um, it almost feels like... And I could be putting cart before the horse. This sounds like a really good sentiment for the conclusion. But it feels like this, you know, at this point in the Halloween canon, and again, bearing in mind I've only seen two movies, it feels like Michael Myers is a victim of his own success, yes. really. yeah. Because, yeah, there's just too much, like, it needs to be this, it needs to be brutal, it needs to have killing, killing is scary, let's throw some gore. It's like, mm, it's not what it was originally, but now that's just kind of what it is, yeah. because we've had all these other films that have aped it and increased the brutality of it and stuff like that, where it's like, he needs to compete against, all the way up to something like, I know Saw is not a slash of it, that's stupid, but like... Yeah, it's all it all spirals outwards from various other horror films. So something like the gate thing, which is possibly the most gratuitous kill in the film, possibly um, mm. you actually get to see. It's it's close to a, a hostile kill or a saw kill or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which is not my interest anyway. I'm not off point by it necessarily. It didn't you know give me the nightmares or anything. I was just like, uh, that's not what I wanted out of the character. I was still engaged. He's wearing the wrong mask then. Like it should be a hockey mask. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was engaged by it, but I also wasn't at the same time. It's bizarre. It is Mm. bizarre. Uh, Yeah, let's dig more into the story then, Um, Steve. Any other things you like or didn't like about the way the rest of the story plays out? 
Uh, okay, the con- the central conflict between Laurie and Michael obviously is what we're here for. I think they did right. that pretty well. Yeah. Uh, the payoff with Karen is a, lo- a bit of an odd one. Uh, like in a, in a way, because she's right that Laurie has kind of completely messed her up and uh, could have potentially ruined her life. But she then gives in to her mother's basic ideas and stuff and it also leads to saving the day, which is... <laughs> uh, a little bit of a messed up message. Uh, I didn't really appreciate the corruption of, uh, you know, not Loomis. Uh, I was actually more invested in Parker, I believe his name is, uh, you know, traumatized policeman who's Hawkins. also been through the events. Hawkins, yeah. right. Um, yeah, as a a burnt out cop yes. who was there at the time of Haddonfield and is also traumatized, kind of as a parallel to Laurie, but also somewhere yeah. more on the side of trying to do it almost properly, except for saying he was going to shoot Myers' brains out and then get him murked. Uh, yeah, it was it was nice seeing like different generations of trauma trying to resolve it. Uh, the big payoff at the end, I thought, was pretty satisfying and in typical bo- boogeyman fashion. Does he get away? Well, there's two sequels. What does that tell you? <laughs> um, but it doesn't do it directly. I appreciate that. This is probably skipping way too far ahead. But there is like a sequence at the end of the film where there is no pr- probable way for the man to have escaped, and yes, he disappears. And the only way you know for sure they definitely got out alive is instead of post-credit like scene, we get post-credit audio of him breathing through the mask. <laughs> uh, I thought that was rather in terms of sequel setups. I was like, okay, you know what? I'll let you have that one. That was kind of creepy and inventive. Mm. Uh, but the main payoff, yeah, uh, seeing Laurie blow off Michael's hand with a shotgun, which sounds way more action-packed than it really should do, but it was just there was something nice about seeing this. Uh, Supposedly indestructible killer man takes some actual damage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to jump to the end of the film. Absolutely. I really did. Just like the original film, I really did enjoy the ho- the house showdown. It was perhaps a little short. And outside of blowing the hand off, Laurie feels like she doesn't do a whole lot. But that is an awesome moment. And as is Michael just standing there while everything's on fire, just standing completely mm. still. And he's just like, you don't know if he's thinking, okay, well, that's that then. I'm screwed. Or if he knows something, we don't know. Which, you know, as you've said at the end there, he does know, clearly, because he's okay. uh, And he survives and moves on to the next two films. Also, a point. Shouldn't shooting up through the floor kind of tell Michael Myers where they are? But whatever, I guess. I guess he's not that clever after all. Um, Yeah. You talked earlier, Steve, about Sartain and his villainous ideals slash corruption. Uh, I don't hate the I want to watch the killer work in his element thing the, for the reason that he escapes. It's it's no less paper thin than some other stuff from this uh, genre and horror in general. It's fine. It's perfectly serviceable. Didn't particularly upset me or anything like that. You need a reason to get him out there. So this works and it's different enough from the original. But also, as you said, it connects it to the original as well because he's sort of like taken on the role from Loomis. He's a student of his and the the comps are related to it. So again, it, it's growing out Haddonfield a bit, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, Kelsey, how do you feel about the rest of the film, I suppose? Yeah, you've both kind of covered it. I just want to point out, I do really like the scenes with Laurie and the family, like in the restaurant and stuff. And when she goes, yeah, that's when great. she goes to meet her granddaughter at the school and things, like... It, as I said, it, these are the sort of advantages the original film doesn't have. And I do really like that stuff in this film. And I think she, Jamie Lee Curtis is really good in those scenes. And I, th- I think everybody's kind of really good. And this is where 
I'm sort of at odds with this film because I do think there's a lot of strong stuff in it and I just think the film is at war with itself to tick those boxes for Michael Myers when actually we could have had something a much, much smarter... And I'm not saying it's not a smart film. And I, I... Yeah, I'd sort of save it for the conclusion, but it's just like... Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in like the little flashes of, you know, when it shows the little flashes of training when they're kids and like tooling up and <laughs> testing traps and stuff in their house. Like, yeah. I love all that. That's really good. And I'm like, this is a great legacy sequel. And yeah, I just think it's sort of at war with itself with some of the action. Um, the, the house showdown is great, but it's just like, yeah, some of it just goes a bit overboard. But it's, I think, mostly story wise, it's a great ride it's as i said it's a film of mm. set pieces and it's like oh which was your favorite death and it's like well uh, that's not really how i yeah. watch the film but it's it's what they did yeah. and it's the dynamic is strain is like i say it's different to the first film but yeah it's it, it's it's fine by the end of it by the end of it story wise and i mean i've seen the sequel i actually haven't seen halloween ends yet because um, I'm kind of afraid to watch it <laughs> because everyone says how terrible it is. But um, oh yeah, uh, like you mentioned, like him standing in the fire and stuff like, yes, that's the stuff I like. It's like he sort of knows he's going to get out. So, yeah, he's not panicking. And yeah, hmm. he's sort of very composed. Yeah, there's lots of interesting stuff. And I do think it is darker. Like the um, we've mentioned the the homages it does. And that funnily enough, that scene in the original where... Loomis you know when Michael first takes the car with all the patients wandering around in the rain and that's kind of paid homage to again in this film with uh the young kid and his dad and uh when they kind of get offed but that's like mm. super dark like you it's rare to see kids die in films and stuff yes but he yeah kills I was the kid and I was like oh my god and it's just yeah there's yeah I just want to kind of point yeah. out this is a lot darker at times and I think maybe to mm. its own detriment but I don't know yeah Theory time. Mm. Okay, sorry, I have to jump in. I think it. maybe he, he, when he was originally a child murderer, he, he won't kill anyone younger than that. Well, yeah, maybe. Like, uh, I, and unfortunately, child who does get murdered doesn't is a, is a little yeah. bit older. I, I think it's, it's it's sad and awful to the point where I think that's why they show scenes with him literally seeing a baby and walking mm -hmm. away, yep. and the same scene from the first film where he bumps into some kids and then just walks yeah. past. Oh. Uh, but it's still it's something you don't expect to see because it's technically. Is like first on screen kill, isn't it? I think the film, it him killing is. A kid. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Because his dad's been jo murdered off screen. Yeah, um, yeah it's a hell of a, f a hell of a statement forward. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yes, fair points all round. Uh, when it comes to the next topic, then is characters. So speaking of kids, MVP of this film is Julian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who is the kid that's being babysat? Yeah. He was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed him, um, but <laughs> that aside, the being genuine by the way, he was great. Um, that aside, you know the other characters largely serviceable. Nobody I thought was terrible. I felt like there was, and it might be because it's been two weeks, but a lot of them were forgettable. I liked the family dynamic certainly, but they weren't hugely fleshed out uh, people. I actually felt like the podcast duo's deaths were particularly impactful. And it might be because they had the... Well, no, we just established they didn't have the first on-screen deaths, but it was particularly brutal, I guess. Um, and I think, they obviously, they had the most prominence in the flick to that point as well. But it did feel like... A, you felt, <laughs> felt a little bit sad for them when they went. They didn't deserve that, maybe. Um, but yeah, 
you know, I've already said I really like what they did with Strode. I thought she was really cool. Um, they allowed her, a bit like the first film, to be a badass, but also to show that she was traumatized um, and, you know, deeply messed up by what's happened. Uh, and then, yeah, she gains her composure and does the thing that she's been preparing all of her life for. Um, and I thought the granddaughter, again, it's kind of forgettable, but, you know, she was a decent sort of, like, patsy for the final girl sort of stereotype, if you like. Um, Kelsey, how did you feel about the characters? Well, let's pour one out for old Ray, Karen's husband, who, you know, he was just trying to... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's a, He delivers a great yeah. line early in the film where he puts his little tool under the sink and he's like, you touch my tool and I'll kill you and your whole family or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then he goes out in the end and he, yeah, he gets he gets, he gets gets taken out. Oh, poor Ray. Strangled, and it's he? just like... And I think that's the last you see of him. He's kind of forgotten about. Um, yeah, I think... Mm. You know, again, there's a sort of slightly wider cast of characters than the original. But for me, I mean, starting with Laurie, yeah, we've kind of mentioned it. Laurie Prepper Strode. She's, you know, she's got the gate, the CCTV, (laughs) bolts on the door, the spotlights on her roof. She's living a life I kind of want to live myself, to be honest. Um, You know, in the woods, away from everyone. Off the grid. Yeah, away from everyone. It seems quite nice. Um, She, for me, has... Can't, she has a much more interesting role than the original movie. I mean, she's here to kind of show, you know, how we let that trauma affect us and those around us. And she's been waiting for this fateful return of Michael and trying to prepare her family. And she knows she knows that he was always coming back. She's tuned into this fate. And I think at the same time, it's kind of destroying her. She's probably going too far with how it affects her relationship with her family. She drinks too much as well. Her hair could probably do with a brush. Um, she um, she may <laughs> she may end up being right that Michael is coming back, but I think you know, like other characters across the franchise, her exposure to Michael in the past is kind of maybe why she's not necessarily playing with a full deck. And I think that's what Michael does mm-hmm. to people. And so this film is doing a lot of that for Laurie. And I think in the original the original where we were sort of positioned, the view- you're kind of as the viewer almost positioned as Laurie. Here we are, you know, more the observer and just kind of seeing, you know, how it's playing out for her, for her and saying, look, this is the route that it could go. Learn from her mistakes. And, yeah, she gets her son-in-law killed. Um, her um, her performance is awesome as well, Jamie. And uh, she even does, like, uh, little things which I do really appreciate. The playing with her hair, which she does in the original. She does here in, <clears throat> excuse me, mm. in the sequel as well. So I really like that. And I think... As someone who I do really like Laurie in the original, I almost prefer this kind of version of her because, as I've said earlier, this film has kind of more to rest on and sort of more to to give you for the character. So I really like her. But, you know, it is sort of all about Michael again. We get a more advancement kind of on what he, who or what he is. And we've talked about the opening sequence, which I think in particular does a lot for it. He, he feels that mask when they pull it out of the bag. He's twitching. The patients around him are acting weird. The dog's barking again. It's all there. <laughs> There's something mm. probably supernatural going on. And again, it's in that way where it's like, oh, it could be explained away. It's simple coincidence that the dog's barking and stuff. But I don't think that's what's happening. I think Michael is making this stuff ha- is happen. His energy is dark. And... You know, his motives, which you've sort of referenced, Cy, they, they don't remain fully clear. And I think more often than more often than not, he is killing for a reason. Like, he needs to gain something. He needs to build to his final form. 
He he needs that boiler suit. He needs a car. He needs the mask, and he needs the knife. You know, you mentioned he walks into the house and batters the lady with the hammer, but you know, he then does swap the hammer for the knife. For me, I sort of let that yeah. one kind of pass because it kind of makes sense. And he has this manifestation of evil that he is kind of forming up to that he needs to be before he can pursue Laurie again. Maybe he's been cursed sure. or something. But then there are also some contradictions to it. You know, he's Steve has said he's not going to kill a baby, for example, but why is that? And it's then right after that, he goes and stabs a woman through the neck in her home, but seemingly for no reason because he doesn't gain anything from killing her. And I sort of looked at that scene and I'm just like, well, why is he doing this? Because this kind of throws the whole theory that he's killing for a reason out the window. And even if that reason is something Mm -hmm. as stupid as I need to get a kitchen knife. So, yeah, Um, unless I don't know, the baby was really annoying him and he had to take it out on somebody. But, you know, who knows? Maybe it's chaos. And funnily enough, right after he stabs that woman through basically the face, it cuts to the school dance and the song playing is I Don't Care, which has some chaotic lyrics about driving your car off a bridge and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff and not caring. So I do kind of think Michael's motives in this film are maybe made misleading and mysterious on purpose. It's like he's playing a game with people. Um, the opening shot of him in the courtyard is like he stood on stood on a giant chessboard, you know, with the design of the courtyard in the mental hospital. So yeah, I think mm. this movie. I'm, again, I'm going on and on, but I think it does do, go out of its way to try and keep up the mystery. He is this manifestation of evil, and I am a fan of that depiction. And I think some of the other movies did stupid stuff with him, but I think this. It, it it stands alongside the original for yeah there's something going on with him here that's a bit more than just a psychopath killer and yeah it it does a few un i'd say unsubtle hints towards it but yeah i i really like how laurie and michael are both depicted in this movie in, in, in a big way hmm it's interesting what you say about michael myers so i just did some quick maths in my head and uh in the story of this film he's 61 years mm. old i guess because he's a six-year-old child when he kills his sister 15 years later is halloween so he's 21 and this is 40 so 61 so maybe yes like the i don't care thing is really interesting and obviously like you said a great callback potentially to don't fear the reaper and stuff like that and maybe yeah it is kind of like that it's like i know he's got a mission he's going to take out laurie or whatever maybe that's his goal it seems to be the going that way but he's 61 years old this pretty much his only chance he knows he's either going to die or get caught so it doesn't really matter so much um but it's just one of the many many theories i guess like the the michael myers that i talked about the one the stuff that i was interested in was the kind of ritualistic angle which again bleeds into i must have this kitchen knife because i need to be who i was 40 years ago i need to have overalls i need to have the mask i need to have the knife which is cool but yeah it's uh and then we then all the other stuff happens. I don't you don't need to go over it again. I've already complained about it, obviously. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the characters? Uh, generally speaking, the younger a character is, the less I tend to care about them. <laughs> uh, that's, that's probably a little harsh, isn't it? But like you that know, I was baby. more invested in generally. You know, the Strode, <laughs> the Strode family, I was obviously fully invested in. The podcasters, I was genuinely invested in because I knew they were going to get theirs eventually for basically poking the bear. Yeah. But then any of the teenage drama, besides obviously Alison, the granddaughter, I really could not give two Jeffs yeah. about. Like, yeah, it was just, I understand why it's there, 
Like the 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 only teenage character I was kind of moderately invested in was the almost like callback vignette of the babysitter murder, where literally I think it's Vicky and the young yeah. boy whose name I can't Julia. remember and her boyfriend. Yeah. Like you could have took that ten minute segment, cut it out, and it could have just been like, "Here's a Halloween fan movie." Like mm-hmm. that would have been like that totally small microcosm. That was fine for me. Uh, Michael himself. This is probably, the words aren't accurate, but it feels like he's almost becoming more and more of a less man, more force of nature to me. Mm -hmm. Like at this point, I I, I can't see, like like Kels has said, and like yourself, Sai, have said, like the reasoning uh, behind some of it is uh, spotty at best. Uh, But it's, is it to cause terror? Is it to be cruel? Or is it something else? And then it's all building up to like, you know, the, the, the cage match of the century, Hulk Hogan versus um, Randy Savage, or in this case, Michael Myers versus Laurie Strode. And that part, uh, yeah, that's where it's full hooks in. Uh, to call back to Paul Ray, though, he did say he had jujitsu and then he got his neck taken out by a grab. Uh, was that like Myers being ironic or... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the young teenage stuff, like, uh, can we have a slasher film where everyone's like, 30 or 40 now please i'm sick of saying i want people talking about boring adult stuff like i do i really don't need the teenage hormones oh am i dating this guy tonight crap (laughs) that that stuff was probably the least interesting or compelling stuff family dynamic stuff aside that was fine but that's like you know laurie's ptsd bleeding over into others you know i was more invested in uh, hawkins whose name i didn't remember until i was reminded uh, their trauma than i was oh i fancy this girl but she doesn't want to go out with me anymore or any of that naff yeah so yeah generally speaking older characters are great young characters suck bit ageist <laughs> but that's the way the film made it for me so oops yes steve just quickly on hawkins it's funny because we you kind of look at the doctor in this film as oh that's the loomis replacement but really there's two loomis replacements because hawkins is the other one and he's the Mm. one that's like you know along with laurie he's the thread back to the original night even though hawkins isn't in the original movie you know that they're placing him back there you know in the sequel to this they expand on that a little bit more but i think that character does really well enhancing that message that Loomis was trying to get through in the original, as well as the Doctor, which is that this isn't your average serial killer. Like Laurie, he was there. He saw it firsthand. There's more to Michael than that. And he gives off that kind of sense and fear that even the sheriff, and I I love the sheriff so much as well, the sheriff takes note, you know, trying to be brash, but he's like, hang on, maybe he's on to something here. Um, Hmm. And I, I think... The little they only get one scene together, I think Laurie and Hawkins, but that dynamic is awesome where they kind of scare the shit out of each other and stuff, and they're wandering around like Michael's here, yes, I know, and stuff like that's that's cool, I really like that stuff, and I think hawkins as as this kind of um slight retcon is done really well, and uh yeah, I do really like him as a character. Almost the sanest man in the room when Laurie says, I wished he got out so I could kill him. Like, are you yeah, crazy? That's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Laurie's, yeah. yeah, she's not necessarily all there, but um, yeah. Okay, let's talk about the direction, the way the film looks, the way the film sounds as well. Steve, I'm going to chuck it to you again to start. How did you feel about how Halloween 2018 looked and sounded? Uh, on par, generally speaking, with uh, contemporary action horror films, I feel. Agreed. Like, uh, the, it's, it's very, I don't want to use the word stock, but it feels very stock. Unless there's shots that are strangely nostalgic and trying to aspire to the original 78 original, they were all kind of washing over mm-hmm. for me. There's a lot of 
backlit stuff. And as much as the tooling up sequence, I can understand why it's making people wince. I did appreciate that must have took a lot of effort to engineer. And I love yeah, some sure. of the visuals like Maya's mask reflecting in the window and the backlighting there. Uh, but generally speaking, anything that's not a callback shot is just kind of okay, visually. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's probably a little bit too harsh. I don't know. Uh, I mean, my notes literally say it doesn't do much that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So exactly that. It just It's a horror film of the era. It's fine. It's not bad. It just doesn't... Yeah, there is very little in there outside of stuff that goes makes you go, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Um, f- f- like the, Not just the fact that it happens, but also the way that it's shot, where Laurie falls off the... Well, gets thrown off the roof, and then you're like, she's going to disappear, she's going to disappear, she's going to disappear. Oh, there you go. You know. yeah. stuff, that bit's good, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, it's callback stuff that, that pops you, but there isn't anything new in there that you go, that was uh, really, really um, refreshing. Largely, it's uh, just par for the course, I guess. Uh, Kelsey, any thoughts on the way the film looks? Yeah, so this is and the atmosphere. I yeah, guess? this is a funny one because it. So it's like it's like a lesson in trying to emulate Carpenter for the most part, but then on top of that, it just has that Hollywood modern day stuff kind of brushed on top, and some of the blood and guts as well. Um, mm. I mean, in a, in a positive sense, I think. The emulation it does is really well. And, you know, those callback shots and music cues, bits of dialogue and lighting, it does stand alongside the original. But you're kind of just, um, yeah, then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's what Carpenter did. And it's not really doing anything new. But then does it need to do that? It's it's a funny one. I mean, I, I do think it does a couple of things. And I mentioned the courtyard shot of the, ch- like, chessboard-like, um, you know, yeah. design of that. I think that is really strong and you see my michael z elongated shadow that's almost too good for what this movie ends up being um but it just yeah it, it has all this kind of same camera moves and color palette and stuff of the original i have no massive complaints there but it's weird just watching a film try to emulate someone else so closely which then in turn makes it feel a little bit hollow um so you can look at it from multiple ways there's nothing wrong with kind of correctly pulling off something that makes it feel like it's in the universe but then as i say at the same time did it need to do that was there maybe a better option or a better route that it could have gone but yeah this is the halloween film by fans for fans so this is what it's done and i think atmosphere wise it's not possible to match the dread that the original gives off this one is way more punchy and thrilling and just kind of yeah modern um and that's because the aims of the movie are different, which I've talked about. The dynamics are different and audience these days are different. We need some box ticking. And it's mm-hmm. it's funny because it... <laughs> and I may just sound utterly ridiculous, but this makes the original look like an art movie and this is just a popcorn movie, just with the way they are. So <laughs> yeah, they they share a lot of the same atmosphere, but in the end, this one gives me a feeling that is quite different. Um I do need to give a huge shout out to the piece of music right after Oscar gets spiked on the fence where you may have to go back and listen to it, but it smashes that kind of hard, dark synth pad, like a really slow alarm. And the music, I believe, was done by Carpenter and his son. So that explains why that's so good. Um, And yeah, and I saw this movie in the cinema and there's something about hearing the Halloween theme and seeing these Carpenter-like shots in the movie 
it hasn't lost its touch. So you sort of have to give it points for nailing it, but then at the same time, I don't know. <laughs> it's sort of like, oh, does it, is it slightly hollow as well? I, I'm kind of on the fence about it. It it does tick some boxes for me, but it's, yeah, it's not as good as the original, is my feeling, I suppose. Mm. I Yeah, just to confirm, music is credited to John and Cody Carpenter and Daniel Davies. Yeah, but that so, is yes. to both of his kids, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is I, that who the I other think one? so. I'm sure I'm not imagining it. No. Even Daniel Davies, I'm sure he's related to Carpenter. He's the godson God, oh, of John okay. Carpenter. I knew, yeah. But uh, yeah, Cody, I believe, is his, yeah, is his yeah. son. Um, so, yes, and I'm going to sound, this is the most obvious pretentious thing to say, but like... It's very clear that when it does try to be like the original film, that's what it's trying to do. It's just mm-hmm. trying to ape it. It's just trying to do it, but it it doesn't have the same intention. It doesn't. It's not no. doing it on purpose. It doesn't really even know what it's doing. It's just like that's the thing we like. Let's do that. Some. I don't want to like backtrack too hard, but one thing I didn't say about the original film that I really appreciated was I talked a little bit about like you know the long shots out in the streets and stuff, but the sort of dichotomy between that and then when we get inside and Michael's inside with another character, Laurie mostly, like hunting her down, the claustrophobia of that, like trapped in a small building, like the way those two things are shot against each other. And Michael often in those cases always shot from sort of underneath as well to make him seem even bigger, like he's taking up even more room and there's no way around him. Just like, just superbly well shot, both sides of that that make each other side sing. Whereas this is just like, yep, no, just there he is. He's scary yeah. for the most part, and the physicality of Myers is really good. Like the actor obviously did a really good job occupying that space, um, but yeah, it just it feels a bit like a pale imitation. Unfortunately, it is completely fine. As I said, it's not bad. Nothing really put me off. It's just uh, it just doesn't have that spark. That being said, as we now roll into conclusions. I did enjoy watching it. I feel like we've sat here critiquing it, but I think uh, partly because of the pace of it is it moves it along really well. And um, it's the same sort of length as the original film where the films these days um, have trouble not going overly long. I sound like such an old woman. Uh, <laughs> but like, I just really appreciate it. it was over an, an hour and a half. I was like, I was, yeah, I enjoyed that. It didn't, didn't eat up too much of my time. As much as we complained about the kills and not necessarily feeling like Michael Myers and Halloween... Some of them were entertaining to watch. I'll give them that much. Like they were well put together, even if I they could have been any other movie, as far as I could tell. It's not nearly as good as the original, very obviously. But I am faintly curious about the sequels. It must be said. I'm kind of maybe I'm invested now. Maybe I want to know how he survives. Well, I'm sure they don't tell you how he survives the fire. He just did. That's how it works. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm interested enough to see. Is it kill Halloween kills? Yeah. Um, the next and then one, Halloween uh, ends. maybe at some point. Yeah, it's, again, it's not my favourite kind of genre or, or anything like that. But, yeah, Trial by Fire, I overall enjoyed both films for different reasons to different amounts and wouldn't necessarily know to seeing, to seeing uh, yeah, Halloween Kills or even actually the original Halloween too to see where this whole brother and sister thing came from. Who knows? The franchise is now my, my oyster, I suppose. <laughs> uh, Kelsey, how did you feel about 2018 Halloween? Uh, yeah, I'm in a very, very similar boat to you. And it's, 
hard for me to love this film because of how much I love the original. Um, but this is a this is a popcorn movie. It it yeah. it ticks those carpenter boxes. I prefer when I'm watching. You know, I, I earlier I shouted out it follows. I don't know if either of you have seen that, but it's one of the best horror movies of like the last twenty years, in my opinion. And it's like a John Carpenter film. But I'm watching it knowing it's not necessarily someone trying to emulate John Carpenter's Halloween. They're just taking the good stuff that he's done and sort of turning it into their own thing, which is why I enjoy a film like that more than this. This for more more for me is more of just like, yeah, it's a fun for want of a better phrase halloween movie (laughs) yeah um as i've kind of hinted at it it has kind of different aims than the original i think it's trying to do a couple of things as i've said which are often at odds with each other it's trying to give that classy halloween sequel which washes away some of the nonsense that's been done in the last 30 years by paying really good respect to the original characters and delivering an experience that fans of the original will get a lot out of which it does, but then it's also mm. ticking those slasher movie boxes like imaginative kills, which is a thing you see in reviews and stuff for all these kind of movies. Oh, the kills are really imaginative. The the violence is really real and stuff like that. And it's just that brutal imagery, which, you know, it it can be fun when it makes you squirm and stuff like that, but it can very rarely add anything to the film beyond that roller coaster type thrill when it's just done lots of times in a movie. And for me, when detailed violence appears in movies where it's, you know, sort of not happening every 15 or 20 minutes, it can be much more worthwhile and have a bigger effect. But when you're seeing it like you are here, where it's loads in one movie, it just sort of, it devalues it, but not to the point where I I sort of detest it or hate it. I'm still getting enjoyment from the movie, like you said, like, despite that being said, I enjoy it. And so it becomes closer to something like, uh yeah just as i've said like a popcorn film um whereas the original is more classier and subtle for me but yeah so i do enjoy it i think i came away from the cinema at the time thinking well yeah that was fun and it was really cool to see the characters and but honestly i don't think i needed two more films out of it and i haven't seen halloween Mm. ends yet but i would have been quite happy with this being it um and it gets mm. points for atmosphere, yeah, points for the atmosphere and homages and the performances. But yeah, just some of it's a little bit cheap. And yeah, I, so the way I sort of look at this is I'm not going to be desperate to show this one to my kid when he's old enough, but I absolutely want to show him the original when he's old enough. So it's mm, sure. fine. It's good fun. Uh, it's very different to the original, but yeah, it pays well enough respect. I don't think I've watched, I've seen this twice three times now i watched the cinema i watched it with my wife at home and i watched it for this podcast i don't think i'll ever watch it again but i'm definitely going to watch the original many times more in my life Hmm. Uh, steve final thoughts on the 2018 halloween film i mean in this day and age where we have like reboot quills and various things of the like i actually feel like this is kind of one of the strongest uh in terms of paying that lip service and acknowledgement to the original and taking what worked you know, obviously they they do some things with it that may or may not be more genre adjacent to the present mm. day, uh, but I actually came away with it kind of satisfied. I was I, I, knowing that it's got two sequels kind of kills it a little for me, but as a direct sequel to Halloween, I thought it was pretty good. Like you know, they've had it rough with the Rob Zombie Halloween yeah. stuff, 
resurrection and the the original continuity like easily the best sequel halloween has ever had which is apparently a pretty hard bar to like no not break but <laughs> yeah like as someone who doesn't like slasher films this was already a hard sell to begin with so the fact that i came away feeling moderately satisfied and thinking you know what that, that was okay i like you know but why is there more of them <laughs> <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> that's, that's it Michael Myers in and of himself I think he's uh, at their most unnerving and violent for sure uh, definitely feels more like a disaster in a mask a walking disaster not a actual like oh look at them state of them uh, no uh, yeah it's strange I feel like what I would think of as my ideal slasher film is probably closer to this than the original Halloween but I'll reconcile that the original Halloween is easily the better film mm. is that <laughs> which is just the most fed city statement I could probably have made Do you know but what, the main I think I yeah. agree that it, it makes perfect sense like this is a it's this, good popcorn this is though. the slasher film the original isn't really a slasher film for me but this is definitely mm. a slasher film mm. fair uh, all that being said, though, Jamie Lee Curtis is like pretty much like note for note one of the best film protagonists for this kind of thing ever. Uh, in both films, she carries it and she's very, very good at what she does. Plus, she cosplayed Chun Li that one time, so she's <laughs> awesome anyway. Jamie Lee Curtis, low key goated. Yes. Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash FASPRAYPOD. You can also join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's recorded. You can find a link to the server, as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, etc. at FASPRAYPOD.com and you can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes tunes and if you enjoyed the show please do leave us a review where you can it helps spread the word thank you to the panel you can follow all of the pueblo people individually i'm at signiac underscore one two three steve is at fb steve was taken kelsey is at k underscore d underscore b underscore and finally thank you for listening and have a good week have a spooky week in fact Yeah, <clears throat> Jack O'Lantern, that's the name of the show. Anybody got any? Uh, that made the most sense to me. I don't know if anybody's got uh, anything. Uh, nonsensical, like, sitting up resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, surviving for some reason podcast. <laughs> Reasons. Okay, uh, let me get my pad out. Survive despite mortal wounds. Uh, Hold on. Absolutely. I'm just going to close my Can't we just say Shatner mask? As I've just about Shatner to start. mask. Some loads of. Kids Painted Shatner mask. Playing football. What's what's happening inside? I just got to get up and close my window because loads of children have appeared right outside playing football. So just give me a sec. Okay. Well, put on your painted Shatner mask and show them what for, Kells. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>